Ramble. In the summer, I get DoorDash almost every single day because it's just so convenient. I don't really need to spend hours of my day grocery shopping and then cooking in 100-degree humid weather. I want to be outside and I want to read a book by the pool. But I also don't want to break the bank and takeout can add up real quick. That's why every summer I sign up for the Dash Pass. Starting now until July 24th, you can get insane deals on DoorDash if you have the Dash Pass. The Dash Pass gives you access to exclusive items and discounts at your favorite restaurants, grocery stores, and even retail shops. I use the Dash Pass almost every day to order from my favorite smoothie place. There's nothing better than a cold, refreshing drink by the pool on a summer day. With the Dash Pass, you can get access to member-only deals on hot wings to ice cream and everything in between now through July 24th. Get the best deal and exclusive items from your favorite brands like Taco Bell, Popeyes, and Ulta Beauty. Sign up for Dash Pass now if you aren't already a member and enjoy a summer full of savings. Dash Pass benefits apply only to eligible orders. Terms apply. Hello, hello, hello. There may be a little bit of a light snoring in the background. It's because nobody wanted Tiger today. I don't know what it is. He's just been not getting along with Mango today. And so my mom's got Mango. Tiger is with us because he is a little pussy ass bits and he does not know how to be alone. Welcome to today's episode of Rotten Mango. Now, this is one that please don't be mad because I know that I was supposed to do this a while ago. I know, I know, I know. I knew that I said that I was going to cover this and I was like, you know what? It's going to be like next week. And then it was like next month and now here we are we are talking about the infamous chessboard killer now I feel like right now is probably the appropriate time to talk about it because are you guys watching the queen's gambit on netflix so good we've watched the first i think two episodes right now so we're a little good. bit late to the train but apparently the google trends for how to play chess has gotten up like a world time high in a how really long chess? time how to play chess along with the popularity of queen's gambit so it seems like it is actually inspiring a lot of people to play chess so i thought it would be appropriate to now talk about the chessboard killer I really um, struggle with how to describe serial killers because I find a part of me doesn't want to say that they're fascinating because I don't want to give them that credit, especially this man, because he really wants people's attention. He wants to be admired. That's his thing. I'm not admiring him in any way, sense, shape, form, what have you, right? But I will say that his story is just strange and not in the cool way, like not in the, oh my God, he was so uniquely his own serial killer. Like he just, he just like did things to different right but in the sense that he's just so crazy so he confessed on national television to all of his crimes which he claims is 60 murders and three attempted murders this would make him the most prolific serial killer in russia and probably the third most prolific serial killer in the history of serial killers internationally worldwide mr international yeah so the first two they have over 200 victims and now these are not like hitmen. I recently talked about the Iceman tapes and the Iceman who was um, an alleged hitman for the Gambino family in New York City. And mm-hmm. he claims to have killed about 150 to 250 people. However, most of those were not proven. So his death toll, um, the police estimate, is probably around 15, which still makes him a serial killer. But I find that a lot of the time serial killers are categorized as killing for killing, like killing for pleasure, killing to kill, killing to to get some sort of gratification and it typically isn't money related so mm-hmm. and if you exclude all of these hitmen and if you exclude all of these like mafias and these gangs right um i believe the first two most prolific are colombian 
And then it would be, I think, him. And then somewhere up there, there's a Chinese man who murdered so many people. Yeah. This guy is up there. They actually called him the maniac of Moscow. Um, He really was a maniac. And it took me a really long time to research this. But um, they just kind of call lots of people maniacs there. They don't necessarily, I feel like it's a lesser used term in the United States. But they kind of call anyone who's a little bit cray cray a maniac. They're like, what a fucking maniac. So, um. He was known as the maniac of Russia. Now, before we get into this, I do have to talk about chess because I feel like if you don't understand chess, then none of this story really means of anything importance, right? And with the Queen's Gambit, I'm hoping that you guys are not going to get bored about me talking about chess because chess in itself, at first glance, seems like such a boring game. And my fiance and I, we recently got into chess, maybe like a couple months ago. We like bought this chess board. We were playing chess every day. Um, I'm a complete noob. I suck at chess, but I find it to be incredibly enjoyable so like this is my one time that i was ahead of the trend guys please keep that in mind um i just want to take credit the only time that i can chess's origins are still uncertain it they claim that it was probably started in india in the 6th century ad so that's about 1500 years ago which is Mm -hmm. a shit long time ago and it's really interesting so the way that chess works it's a strategy game they call it crushing your opponent's mind that's yeah. pretty alarming. And out of all of the things that you can lose at, um, chess actually ranks on the humiliation scale pretty high. So like people are actually more humiliated when they win a game of chess than let's say a game of basketball, a football. When of, they lose a game? Yeah, lose a game or Fortnite of Among Us. Like they actually get more of that humiliation sensation in their brain when they oh. lose a game of chess because you put in your all. Like you put in your strategy. You and it's like your IQ. It's like your fucking. <laughs> How well do you think? And chess is definitely one of those games that requires people to be, I mean, some of the chess players, they've got to be the most competitive people in the world. Because here's the thing. I feel like there's really not as much adrenaline as, let's say, a physical sport because you're you're not literally running around racing your heartbeat. You're sitting there, right? And I think with chess, it's so easy if you're not competitive to zone out three moves in because your partner, your opponent, takes so long to come up with their move, right? And Uh it's just like this back and forth and you could easily just be like, "Eh, whatever, like, let's just call it quits. It's like the most intense game of Monopoly, right? Now, they did do a survey, and this was in 2012, so hopefully with the Queen's Gambit, these numbers are changing. But they asked people from all over the world, how many times do you at least play chess once a year? Now, 12% of the United Kingdom's population said, yeah, I play chess once a year. Um, The United States, it was 15%. In Germany, it was 23%. In Russia, it was 43%. And in India, it was 70%. So chess seems to be slightly dead in the United States in terms of average people i know we've got a lot of champions here or they like to call it grandmasters huh yeah 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 interesting now the way that it chess what about china yeah we play Um, play a lot of chinese chess they were not included in the survey but i know that chinese people do play a lot of chess and they are ranked really high in terms of like people who hold titles in china it's very interesting i think but we play chinese chess we have a different chess board if you go to park yeah all the grandpas are playing Chinese chess <laughs> yeah. on the, in the park. Yeah. Chess is so underrated. Uh, the way that chess was formed, the king of India, before they were known as India, right? Uh-huh. The king, he ruled this massive land. He, 
was one of the most powerful people, right, in the history of the world. And he decided to commission a strategy game. And he said, listen, all of you peasants, all of you losers, all of you everything, right? Go mm-hmm. make me the best strategy game ever. And so all of these people would be like, my king, um, this is an anecdote. So there's like no proof that this happened, mind you, because this was a um, 6th century AD. So like we don't really have the receipts. Like we don't have like that TikTok video that's like, oh, shit, that happened, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's like, come, bring me your strategy game. So they'd be like, my king, here is the strategy game. So I call it rock, paper, scissors, right? And they would do all of these things. And one dude brought him a chessboard and he was obsessed with it. He was like, this is the best thing ever. So what do you want for this, you know? Because you made this game. I'll give you a little prize. <laughs> now, is it the rice? Yes. <laughs> and the man said, oh, well, my king, I will give you two options because you're a man of many options. Option number one is that you could pay me my weight in gold. And, you know, I, I'm a pretty hefty dude, maybe 150 pounds of gold. I mean, how much money is that? I don't even freaking know. And mm-hmm. the second option is you put one grain of rice on the first square of the chessboard, two grains of rice on the second four Mm -hmm. grains of rice on the third, and you just multiply it by each chest square. So the king, he looked at him and said, you know what? I'll give you some grains of rice. Come here, bring me your chessboard. Now, this point, halfway through, he realized that's about 10 tons of rice. Mm -hmm. And then to fill the whole 64 squares on the chessboard, it would be 1.2 trillion tons of rice (laughs) that didn't exist not only in his kingdom, but in all the kingdoms combined. So in... um, he just killed the dude. He was like, you know what? I've got a better <laughs> I've got a better solution. How about you get neither and I kill you because I'm the king? Again, this is an anecdote. I really hope that the creator of chess was not just slaughtered like that, but I don't know. <laughs> no, that's not the because we used the same story really? before. <laughs> for a different game? <laughs> for a different story, yeah. <laughs> so it was like someone like, came up with the whole thing. The king was like, I will reward you anything no. you want it. He's like, okay, so just put rice in the chessboard. And the king's like, easy peasy, haha. And then <laughs> the king went bankrupt. <laughs> yeah. But also, easy peasy. If you had your kingdom, you'd be the most eloquent, classy king ever. Now let's talk about Russia because the chessboard killer does take place in Russia. And Russia's roots with chess is really intense. So ever since the USSR, before that was too many S's, before Russia was Russia, they were the USSR. Yes, history class was popping, but I'm going to make it a little fun, okay? Now, the KGB, they loved it. If you don't know about the KGB, let me tell you about them. They're like the CIA, but they don't really follow rules, but they also kill a lot of people, but they're also really scary. And they're exactly what you would think about, like, USSR's intelligence committee like it's gonna be fucking nuts okay they were known to do some crazy ass shit and in the KGB training handbook they had a whole ass section on chess I don't know about you Mm. but the CIA back in the day when they were known as something else they didn't have shit like that like Russia was obsessed with chess because they said it's like it's like going to war on a piece of board It's all strategy. It's all pawns, like losing something to gain something, trying to understand everyone's positions. And they just were obsessed with it. Now, during World War II, they actually used chess as a way to disguise their communications. Again, this has not been proven, but that's what a lot of the allied forces believe because a lot of communications were found. And these Russian KGB officers, they would just talk to each other about a chess game. And they would be like, and then they moved it to like, you know how like they're like A20. I don't even know chessboard squares. I don't know. I don't. Oh, you move yeah, them. Yeah, I don't yeah. like saying right. Yeah. And it would just be random. It would just be like, anyways, how's your day? I heard about like the battle. 
blah, blah, blah. And then they would just suddenly start talking about like chess moves. So they were like, OK, like each pawn, each bishop must symbolize something. And they're mm. moving it to wherever they already discussed they were moving it to. So they would write to each other about these chess games and they use those notations to describe their next move. So the USSR, I keep doing too many S's. How many S's there? Two. The USSR. No, I'm doing the right amount. Yeah. Why did it sound like USSSSR? Sorry. And if you guys have watched the imitation game, it's about the German rotor cipher. So again, this is in the Second World War. Oh my God, I have three. And the Germans, they created this machine called the Enigma, and it's a rotor cipher. Now, a lot of rotor ciphers exist. The Germans weren't like the first ones to come up with it, I believe. But essentially, it's kind of like a typewriter, but it's got all of these rotors. And and once you know the exact positions to turn the rotors, it will scramble your messages. And it is nearly impossible for anybody else to decode it unless you know the exact positions that the rotors need to be in mm-hmm. in order for you to decode the message. Now, the allied forces, they actually get a ha- they get their hands on the Enigma machine. And mm-hmm. in the UK, they get this entire camp. I, we saw this movie, babe the entire camp and they bring in mathematicians Mm. linguists people who understand hieroglyphics and their entire task they live on this base and eat sleep and do everything on this base is to decode the enigma machine and this is actually one of the reasons that the allied forces won the second world war and the reason that we live in the united states that is the united states today which i don't really know if that says a lot but that is why <laughs> right and so a lot of these people who are brought in they were brought in just for their sheer ability to play chess is that not crazy that's crazy so most of the people were brought in for math linguistics hieroglyphics and then they brought in a group of people who were just fucking gnarly at chess why is that it just they're just really good with patterns possibilities mm. and all of those things I wonder what people what what's the requirement to be a great chess player? Is it higher IQ or I feel like it's well actually now that you bring that up this is not even something that I researched for this but there was a woman she was one of the very few women that ever ranked top 5 or top no I think it was top 10 top 10 or top 5 in terms of world chess players uh, predominantly chess players like the grandmasters tend to be male for whatever reason right and she was one of the very few women who ranked super high Mm -hmm. and she was actually an experiment so her dad wanted to prove that um geniuses are created not born and ever since she was young she was homeschooled and she made her and her siblings just study chess like and their family isn't like necessarily the smartest people like the the parents didn't go to like an ivy league well they were european you know they didn't go to like the best schools they were just like normal dudes yeah and they just raised one of the biggest chess chess geniuses yeah so what does that mean that so chess it doesn't take iq to be the best chess no player. i don't think so it just takes practice i think it takes practice um typically people who are good with chess are tend to be better with math is from what i read Mm. Um, just because you do have to do about like the probability of every move and shit. Mm. It's not necessarily made for the impatient people like me. 
<laughs> I don't know why I like chess. And I like it very recreationally, by the way. Like, I, if you put me at a, at a park with, like, old dudes playing chess, oh, my God, I would get wrecked. I would get wrecked, okay? Yeah. I'm only good at chess when, when my opponent play, doesn't know how to play chess. No, you're, when you, Stephanie's opponent is uh, computer, difficult <laughs> level, easy. easy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's okay. So and he's like, you know what, baby, you should play medium. I'm like, nah. Why would I do that to my ego? I just... <laughs> I don't want to be put in my place today. I want to feel good. <laughs> and um, so a couple of those people, notable people, there was a guy by the name of Alan Turing. He was really, really, really good with chess. And he actually helped decode the Enigma. Later on, he was actually credited with um, developing the first computer code to allow computers to play chess. And then there was another guy who worked on the Enigma machine and his name was Hugh O'Donnell Alexander and he was a chess master. He won the British title two times and he's got two like moves. You know how the Queen's Gambit is about a move, right? He's got Petrov's defense and the Dutch defense that are still being used today that he created that are named after him. Is that not crazy? That's freaking crazy. Yeah. Yeah. The USSR is intense. So in 1930, the USSR, they actually banned blindfolded chess because in Russia... Everybody was getting so good at chess that they decided, wait a second, like, it's not fun. Like, we're all so good at chess. Like, the only way to get a thrill from this is if we start blindfolding ourselves. So they would play chess blindfolded and they would, as they move, they would just say moving to like this square. Like Queen's Gambit. Yeah, so you would have to picture it in your head. That's insane. But so many people got injured from this. Why? Because it was mentally exhausting. So a lot of them would like just like fucking faint while they were playing chess, like recreationally. <laughs> like imagine going over to your friend's house and they're like, let's just play blindfolded chess and then you'll pass out. So that's what happens when you use your brain like <laughs> too, much. too much. Yeah. So that happens to some people. Someone died. A Russian player died doing blindfolded chess. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So they uh, banned it for health hazards. Literally for health hazards. Uh huh. It's kind of crazy. crazy. And then in 1959, the USSR, they had an Antarctica base. So they have like this base in Antarctica right at the time. And, you know, there's really not that much to do in Antarctica. Like, what are you going to do? Like, hang out with some polar bears? I honestly don't know how Antarctica works, obviously. Um, and so all they would do at this base is that these USSR soldiers would play chess. And one of them got so mad that he got beat by his colleague that he grabbed an axe and murdered his base mate with an axe. And so the USSR was like, I right anybody who's in antarctica y'all can't play chess like that was it they were like you can't yeah it's so strange i mean chess is a weird chess culture is popping in russia yeah chess culture is popping chess is intense so the way that chess is ranked because i mean if you watch queen's gambit you're going to kind of understand right so um the most recognized recognized nationally ranking while wow, that was really confusing is like this so you start with novices or beginners and then you have class or category d c b and then you have what's called a candidate master which means that you're an expert at chess after you pass all of these now you're a candidate master you're maybe an expert and mm-hmm. then the next level is the national masters and then you've got the international masters and then you've got the grand masters and then you've got this which is a crazy level they don't even really have a proper term but they're just colloquially colloquially just well known as the super grand masters Wait, so Grandmaster is not the highest? No, there's one more. 
and they're called the super grandmasters and they're really rare so for example you would think like okay like how much of the world plays chess there's got to be a lot of super grandmasters i'm sure it's like nfl players how many nfl players we got we got a lot right yeah um but russia has 12 super grandmasters currently china has six super grandmasters the u.s it, they tie in fourth with three super grandmasters and they're tied with india and ukraine that's it yeah so it's like literally 20 people yeah i mean there's a couple more but um yeah that's crazy how how is that ranked so uh, chess is okay there's like math and ranking too is that not crazy? crazy so your ranking can constantly change it's like your ratio of how many games you've played and how many times you've won or some shit like that and then also with some other things the, if you go to their wikipedia there's like a whole ass formula for ranking chess players and i'm like oh my oh. god so you have got to be good at chess but you also got to do the math on how you're ranked it's crazy so every competition counts your score yeah your final ranking mm-hmm and so your ranking moves up and down all the time. So imagine how stressful that is. So every game matters. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. And so right now, I believe the number one player, he's Norwegian. And then the second player is an Italian-American. We got a Chinese and then a Russian. So that's, that's kind of like crazy. the international ranking right now. And they, I mean, most of the top chess players, they're millionaires. There's not as much money as other sports per se, but uh, they do make money. Yeah. How? Like chess games, if you win oh. the title, you get like a million dollars sometimes. Oh. Yeah, I know. It's kind of crazy because you would think that chess would make more money than like a Fortnite. But um, <laughs> no, like, <laughs> I don't know why. I just thought chess is so old. Lots of smart people play chess. They I must see. be making money. I'm, I mean, I'm imagine chess will make more money if there's more people who's interested. And like watching. So, yeah, like just, Queen's Gambit. Yeah. Yeah. And then boom, you know. But like you do notice that they cut away most of the playing parts because like can you imagine sitting in a stadium with two dudes sitting on a table and then you're just like watching the pieces yeah. and you're just like cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like how would you even have an announcer for that? And then he moved the night. Like I mean, I don't know, right? Um yeah, so it's really insane. There's also a lot of cheating in chess. So one of the most uh controversial cheating scandals that has happened is a grandmaster was caught googling in the bathroom in the middle of a chess match. <laughs> googling what? Yeah. Just like about the next move, the probability and shit. What? A grandmaster? Yeah, and then a couple other masters were caught. A couple other experts were caught in the middle of a competition. They would have, like, their friends and family stationed in the gallery, which is where people watch you play chess. And with every move, someone would get texted that would be at home on a computer, would text them back, and they would move in the gallery. That would Mm. signal a different move. So, so many people get caught for that. And then another one that was really controversial is a man, during his chess match, was brought blueberry yogurt. And the opponent got so pissed and was like what the fuck does the blueberry mean like the blueberry is a signal i know the blueberry is a signal and everyone was like what are you talking about it's just yogurt and he was like no fuck you and your blueberry yogurt and so finally they were like okay from now on the same snack is getting delivered to both players at a predetermined time because like there was this whole blueberry yogurt controversy I know it doesn't sound as interesting as like um like your deflated football controversies, you know. I know like blueberry yogurt doesn't sound as scandalous, but I swear it was scandalous. People were freaking out about it. I swear, <laughs> it's weird. Listen, I know chess is boring. Okay, like I know Queen's Gambit makes it so fun, but like chess is boring. Like let's be real, chess is not the funnest game ever. Okay. I play this game called Zuba. That's fun. It's like a mobile game. Whatever. (laughs) 
So I know that I'm putting you to sleep right now. And I just thought as you're about to knock out, think about this. Think about laying down on your bed, listening to me talk about chess for like, what, 30 minutes thinking, wow, it feels so sleepy in here. I feel like I could just knock out right now. Ooh, but why? Why am I not that comfortable? How come when I sleep on my side, I wake up with my shoulders aching? My hips are a little stiff. You know, am I really getting old or is it a different issue? Well, that's where Helix comes into play. Listen, I thought I was getting old, but I found out that that's a lie. That's a hoax. That's fake. Okay, because what's really happening is you're not getting your best mattress that's made for you because everybody's unique and Helix knows that. So they have several different mattress models to choose from. They've got soft, medium, firm mattresses, mattresses that are good for cooling you down if you sleep hot and even a Helix Plus mattress for plus size folks. So the way that it works is you take this quiz that just takes two minutes to complete and it matches your body type to your sleep preference for the perfect mattress for you. I took the quiz and I got matched with the Midnight Lux model and oh my goodness, it is like medium firm. It's like, it's just perfect. It's like a cloud. It's heaven. I sleep on my side and normally I get shoulder aches. None of it gone out the window. If you guys are looking for a mattress, you take the quiz, you order the mattress that you're matched to and the mattress comes straight to your door shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to like those weird mattress stores ever again. And it's awesome, but you don't need to take my word for it because they were actually awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. You know that's important because people were really looking for some comfort in 2020, right? They also have a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but I promise you, you will. So just go to helixsleep.com slash rotten, take their two minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. So Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for you guys at helixsleep.com slash rotten. Damn it, I have one more chess story, but like, are we bored of chess? No, okay, so there's this guy. The <laughs> I don't know why. I'm like so into this. Tell us, tell I feel us. like chess has like this weird mystery surrounding it. I mean, it's such an old game that there's got to be some weird shit, right? And this is one of those instances. So there's this guy by the name of Asip Bernstein, and he was actually a Ukrainian chess player. So he was a lawyer at the time. He won master titles in Berlin. He moved to Moscow to be a financial attorney. And during the Red Terror of 1918, this was like when everybody was getting arrested for literally doing nothing just breathing just being alive and he was being arrested for being an attorney to a bunch of bankers and the USSR just like did not like that they were just like you're not gonna do that and so he started he got kidnapped well, he got arrested <laughs> and he was lined up before a firing squad because they are like really efficient oh people. Gosh. So they were like, we're not going to do this one by one. Like, we're just going to like line y'all up and then just like boom, 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 boom. Right. Like dominoes. And uh, they lined him up. And this little general, he's like reading off the names just to verify that it's not the wrong people. Right. Because imagine the scandal. So he's like reading off all these names. And then he's like, wait, Asip Bernstein. I know this guy. He's like a nationally ranked chess player. So he's like, wait, are you that chess master? that's on the news and Ossip's like yeah that's me and he goes nah you're not the chess player and he's like no I, I'm the chess player and he's like cap you're lying and he's like no I am the chess player and he says okay okay then why don't you show me why don't we play around a chess if you're so good at chess right and so they sit down they play a chess and he says if you can beat me I'll let you go what? Is and this it was true? yes the fastest game ever and he wrecked the general and he beat him 
and he ran for his life. I mean, they, he said that he could run. He didn't say like you're immune. We're not going to arrest you again. So he actually oh. had to. Yeah. So he ran so they away. Trying to chase him. <laughs> yeah. So he ran away penniless. Like he was making a ton of money. He was oh. a wealthy dude, and he ran away penniless to Paris. Oh. So it technically yeah. saved his life. It saved his life, yeah, which huh. is crazy. Now let's get into the chessboard killer because it's going to get gruesome. It's going to get dark. It's going to get weird. It's going to get freaking nuts. Is he so, obsessed with chess too? Yeah. So today we are talking about Alexander Puchishkin. <laughs> I really want to say some nasty stuff right now. Okay, I really suck at saying his name. I honestly should have asked our Russian friend for his name, but we were really busy asking her about something else. So I might be calling this man's Sasha throughout this entire story <laughs> because here's one thing, right? We've got these close Russian friends, and one thing that we've noticed is anytime that we go to a gathering with him, we have this Russian friend who's named Alex, right? We just call him Alex, but I'm sure his full name is Alexander. Mm-hmm. But all of his friends who are Russian, they call him sasha so we're like what's this going on like is that like a (laughs) nickname like they just call you sasha is that your middle name like why are you called sasha right and we never asked because we thought i thought it's just a russian nickname yeah like i thought it was like saying like opa like you know or something like that like younger brother or older brother but then i googled it and i started seeing that all the alexanders were nicknamed sasha (laughs) And so I'm like, that's so weird. And I'm trying to think, like, how do I Google why is every Alexander in Russia nicknamed Sasha, right? I'm like, that's weird. I don't know if this is going to be credible information. So we texted our Russian friend about why is every Alexander named Sasha? And she hit us back with, well, why is every William called Will? (laughs) (laughs) And we're just like, that is not. But like, you do understand. And then she's like, by the way, Alex is an English name. We don't have an Alex. We've got Al... Alexi or Alexander? Yeah, Alexander. Yeah, because we were like, why Why are Alex's called Sasha? And she was yeah. like, those don't exist. And I could ask you the same. Why is every William Will? And we're like, that's, that's, I feel like the appropriate one would be like, why is every Richard named Dick? That one I still don't get. But, um, so we don't know. But he's. But they just, are. They're all Sasha. They're all Sasha. Yeah. And so we were like, that doesn't make sense. And she just said, Google it. And uh, Google wasn't really helpful. So now we're here. <laughs> <laughs> so Sasha, Alex, Alexander, what should we call him? Maybe Sasha. It's easier. So Sasha, he lived in the south part of Moscow in very close to this park called Bitsevsky Park. And they just kind of call it Bits Park for short. And it's like this massive foresty land park. I mean, lots of people love going there. During the winter, it's used for cross-country skiing. So this is a big park. So to put it in comparison, Central Park is about 843 acres. Mm -hmm. Now, this park in Moscow is 2,700 acres. So it's massive. So if you see some dead bodies in there, it might take some time. It might take some time for people to find them, right? Mm -hmm. And people loved playing chess there. You had a bunch of older people playing chess there, just like sitting there like you said about china like they just sit at the park and play chess right and now surrounding this park were these huge apartment buildings now i know what you're thinking oh my god central park square like it's gonna be like these most fancy like the richest of moscow live there right it actually wasn't like that at all this was the south part of moscow and this was known as the ussr's like first housing project so 
It was grim. It was concrete. I mean, the buildings were just always rusty. Even like when they went up, they were rusty already, and people just did not like living there. It was、um, a thirty-minute train ride to Moscow, so it was kind of. It was not a situation that you wanted to find yourself in, but if if you found yourself there, you were grateful to have shelter, kind of. And、mm-hmm. the way that they called it in Moscow was they called it. Zopa Mira. I don't know if that. I'm definitely not pronouncing it right, but it's translated to the asshole of the world. Wait, say that one more time. What did、the、you say? The asshole of the world. Oh, this area. Is yeah. So, like, if the, the world. world is like a beautiful lady, this is like the butthole. So it's like. So everyone's like, so we like it. <laughs> <laughs> So we good. <laughs> so well, we fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> That's mad elegant, and we fuck it. <laughs> um, but no, 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 no. <laughs> I feel like twenty twenty makes it hard, you know, to tra- it gets lost in translation. This was meant to be a mean saying. <laughs> This was meant to be like nobody wants to go there. But then in twenty twenty, we're like, so we fuck it, huh? <laughs> so we go in there, huh? <laughs> So it's my birthday, huh? <laughs>、um, yeah, it was just known as the asshole of the world. And in the asshole of the world, there was a woman by the name of Natasha Puchikishkina, right? And this is <laughs> this is Sasha's mom. So Natasha is Sasha's mom, and she actually moved into these housing projects when she was 11 years old with her parents, and she would live the rest of her life there, and Sasha would live the rest of his life there. It was just she called it overcrowded, charmless, but it was still an improvement. Movement for just like not having shelter.、Mm-hmm. Now Natasha gets married. She gives birth to a son by the name of Alexander, and her husband immediately moves out. By the time like he's like one, so he just gets abandoned by his dad.、Mm-hmm. Now what's interesting though is that his house is not abusive. Like nobody inside of his home is abusive. His mom was actually just a very very hardworking single mom, and Sasha he was really lo- well liked by his neighbors. They all said that he was sociable. He was just well adjusted. He was just like the sweetest kid. Ever until until he was four years old. Now this, I could go down a deep rabbit hole on this. When he was four years old, he gets onto this little swing and he starts swinging like the ones at the playground. <laughs> I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing. I'm sorry.、Um, okay. And then as he's swinging, he falls off backwards,、uh-huh. and the swing is still swinging because you know. Quantum physics, <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> and so the swing is still swinging. Okay, his head. He like gets up、uh-huh. to be like, oh my god, I just fell,、uh-huh. and then this swing just hit him on his forehead. Okay. Now I don't know what kind of swings they have in Russia, but it was a really big dent in his forehead. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a dent. <laughs> like he got hit really hard. Yeah, like, is there a dent or no? Yeah, temporarily. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so the reason Wait, I'm laughing, I, the reason I'm laughing is because, in hindsight, and I'm sure if you come back to this after you know about Sasha, you're gonna laugh because he grows up wanting to be like this tough dude and just like, oh, I want to be the like the most crazy serial killer in Russia, and then you're just like, dude, you just got hit by a swing. Like I don't know something about it, just、uh-huh. makes me want to laugh at him. Okay. How do how do such a weird little story made it? See, that's what I thought too. But did you know there's other serial killers who had frontal lobe damage because they got hit by a swing? I can't. Wait, what is I'm happening? So sorry. You say there's other serial yes. killer? Yes. That got specifically hit by a swing. So swings are dangerous. Dangerous. Swings can really just create serial killers. Honestly, 
Yeah, you know how they're like, are serial killers, are these monsters born or made? Yeah, they're made by swings. <laughs> so he gets hit by this swing on his frontal lobe, the front of his brain, right? Mm-hmm. Like right forehead. on his forehead. And it damaged the frontal lobe of his brain because when you're a kid, like the amount that your skull and that your skin and all of these things that are supposed to protect your brain, I mean, it does a fraction of what it would do when you're a full grown adult. That's why you're like, you have to go, you have to be very gentle with like babies' heads, right? Support the neck, all that jazz. Mm-hmm. And this this is really really bad so this is kind of an indicator your frontal lobe it helps you with problem solving with impulse regulation with personality traits Mm-hmm. A lot of people who get frontal lobe damage they have a tendency towards being aggressive mm. they're just they're just yeah and so before this incident happened I mean he was a really sensitive kid so a lot of people would say that one time his cat had died he mm-hmm. didn't kill his cat but his cat had died and he was hiding in the stairwell just like crying his eyes out over mm-hmm. the death of his cat like he was just like a regular kid just unconsolable like his cat just died and then afterwards he really never showed any emotion unless it was violence anger and hatred And a lot of this makes sense. So a lot of killers have frontal lobe issues. So the Night Stalker, a.k.a. Richard Ramirez, not the original, but the second Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez, he actually was, um, he's one of the more famous serial killers in the U.S. So he invaded a bunch of homes in California all the way from like Northern California to Southern California. And he would just like kill people with a machete. He was a really gruesome dude. He would also, he was, um, he would leave like penta, penta, pentagons all over the place like he was um an avid satanist but i don't know if he really was a true satanist it's complicated anyways when he was young a dresser fell on him so he had a little bit of frontal lobe damage from that and then when he was five years old he was knocked unconscious by a swing and ever since that swing knocked the dude unconscious he would have epileptic seizures all throughout his childhood Mm. swings are dangerous remember john wayne gacy we covered him on the podcast the killer Mm -hmm. clown well he hit his head on a swing as well and that caused a blood clot in his brain and that went undiscovered for like five years and he would have like blackouts he had heart arrhythmia like he was he got really messed up by that swing lots of people were hit by swings yeah and frontal lobe damage is serious like we talked about fred west he got into that motorcycle accident and then became super violent it sounds crazy to just be like and then a swing hit him in the head and then he just like wanted to kill people but like it seems like it's very frequent there's like a connection it's very intense so he has this massive personality change now sasha is just this hostile aggressive kid and it got to the point where his mom had to pull him out of ordinary school and send him to a school for the disabled Now, the reason for that was because at the ordinary school, he was constantly bullied. Um, A lot of the times people called him, and I quote, that retard. Yeah, so it was not just a good situation. But apparently the school for the disabled was not a good situation either. The only person who believed in Sasha, though, was Natasha's dad, his grandpa. His grandpa sees Sasha and is like, listen, I think Sasha is intelligent. I think he's born with something. I think he got some potential and his talent is being wasted at the school. So the school essentially is focusing on like how to deal with your disability, how to confront people, how to overcome your disability. Like it had everything to do with disability because that's what 
all the kids had. So they wanted to give them all these skills so that, you know, later on in life, they could put them to use. But, you know, Sasha's grandpa is like, why? Why should he be in this school? He should be in a school that promotes achievement and success and like grades and all the other things that everybody else is focusing on. And so his grandpa is like, no, 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 Sasha, you're going to come live with me for the time being. So he goes to his grandpa's house and he starts living with his grandpa. And that's where he gets taken to the park almost every single day for his grandpa to play some chess with some other people. And he starts learning some chess. Now he starts getting good. I mean, I really don't want to praise the guy in any way, but apparently he was amazing at chess. Like he beat all the old people at the park. And when I say old people, there's like this weird connotation that they weren't good and they were slow. But I mean, these people have been playing chess for like their whole lives in Russia. Right. So he was good. Like think. Queen's Gambit good right and it was a place for him to dominate like it was like his outlet for anger like he couldn't go around and bring that hostility and aggression to people physically so he just took it out on the chessboard and he had so much fun then he was still bullied in school just like all of his childhood and then his grandpa ended up dying and that was traumatizing and then soon after his grandpa died his dog died he was a huge animal lover That was his only regret. After killing 60 people, they asked him, like, do you regret anything? Do you have nightmares? And he said that he wasn't as nice to his dog as he could have been. That was his regret. He's like, yeah, I brutally murdered people, but, like, my dog... But like same. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. So he's the one serial killer, which this is why a lot of people say that he his case kind of changed the world in terms of um, psychologists and psychiatrists really had a fucking moment with his case because it's very confusing. You know, was it the frontal lobe damage? Was it really the swing that made him this way? I mean, he was an animal lover. He was bullied, but he never really started fires. He wasn't abused. He never wet the bed. I mean, it's just strange. And he also didn't have a victim, like a victim that he loved. Like he didn't have like a, ooh, I like, you know, Ted Bundy had his college girls, right? He didn't really have that. He just wanted to kill people. That's it. So the psychology or th- psychologists are thinking that it could be just a specific damage. Yeah. In his brain. And it like sent them on a loop. Like it was really mm. weird because it's just it kind of deconstructed everything we knew to be a serial killer. So it's just like, okay, this is very strange. And so his grandpa dies. He's really sad about it. He goes back to living with his mom. And that's when he starts doing lots of smart shit. Like his favorite book was actually Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. That was his favorite book. So he was, I, I couldn't find anywhere that would tell me his IQ. Not that that's like your, you know. That's to say if you're smart or not. But it seems like he was a really intelligent person. I would assume he was intelligent enough to be that good at chess. Right. So he was a smart dude. But he was severely aggressive and depressed. And so as a young teenager, he started turning to vodka, was just drinking nonstop. And the very interesting thing is he learned that he could bring vodka to all of these old chess players. And they would drink the vodka. And they would get affected in terms of how they play. But he would never. Sasha would never. Sasha could drink two bottles of vodka and be like, checkmate bits yeah it just wouldn't affect him like that and that's when he started kind of getting into some hobbies so this is like when he's like 17 years old just to put it in perspective that he's freaking young he would bring these video cameras around like he would he's like a vlogger he would bring this video camera around and every time he saw a kid he would grab that kid take them to a high up building and kind of hold them outside of a 10th floor window like the 10th floor window like half their body would be hanging out the 10th floor window and he would say things like you are in my power now 
and I'm going to drop you from the window. You're going to fall 10 stories and you're going to die. And the child would be like screaming and like crying and he would not kill the child. He would bring the child back, but he would rewatch those tapes to feel powerful. To feel powerful. That's crazy. Yeah. Like imagine just like sitting there rewatching those to be like, oh my God, do you hear the terror in his voice? Yeah. And so he's living with his mom and his half-sister, Katya, and his brother-in-law, Alexander. So lots of Sashas, okay? And um, they also have Sergey, who is the half-sister's son, so his nephew. And to give you a perspective of the living situation, so Sasha would actually sleep on the couch in the living room, and 10 feet away from him was a randomly placed queen-size bedroom, or a queen-size bed that his mom slept on, 10 feet away from him. And there was only, like, one real room. So this was kind of closed off from the kitchen and stuff, but it was still not necessarily a room. Like, most people would have used it as, like, a living room, right? Mm -hmm. And then the bedroom itself was for his half-sister, her husband, and their son, six-year-old son, Sergey. Mm-hmm. So it was just like cramped. People said it always smelled like a strong odor of just sweat and cooking oil. That was just kind of the scent. And in 1992, that's when Andre Chikatilo was convicted of 53 murders. Do you remember him? This is where I brought up the chessboard killer and everyone's like, do the chessboard mm-hmm. killer. So he was actually known as the butcher of Russia, the, you know, the vampire of Russia. You get it. He had um, a boner issue. He couldn't get it up. And so he was so upset about it. So he went on to go kill 53 people he was like why can't my dick get hard and he murdered people and he would gouge out their eyes maybe this will bring it back to you he would gauge out people's eyes because he believed in the russian superstition that your your eyes will take a picture of the last thing that you see when Mm -hmm. you die and so he's like i don't want the police going and like scanning their eyeballs for that little picture for that instagram pic and it's like me gauging their eyes out Mm -hmm. so um that's what he did now, in 1992, his entire trial, if you remember that podcast, mm-hmm. was publicized. It was all over TV in Russia. He was sitting in this cage. He was, like, taking off his pants, threatening to rape more people. Like, it was intense, right? Mm-hmm. And Sasha sitting there watching this, and he felt a sudden sting of competition. You know, this dude was getting all this attention for being the most prolific serial killer in Russia. 53 people. The Mm -hmm. most prolific. But I feel like I could do more. And so he's sitting there getting upset and he goes, you know what would be fun if I killed 64 people? Why? To fill the chessboard. To fill up my chessboard. Jeez. And so he says, you know, that kind of seems fun. And this was five days after his 18th birthday. And he said, for my 18th birthday, I'm going to gift myself murder. So his first murder happened when he was 18 years old. He had invited his friend over. His name was Mikhail Adichuk. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. His name was Mikhail, right? And um, he said, listen, we're going to go on a killing expedition. We're going to walk through the park and look for people to kill. And so his friend is like, what? That's so weird. I'm in. And he's walking what? around. <laughs> and, he, and, you know, Sasha was really open about it. Sasha was like, I can't wait to kill. Like, this is going to be so much fun. I can't wait to kill with you, dude. Like, you're my friend. And I feel like, you know, 
murder is going to be one of those things that's going to bond us together and I think you're going to have fun too I've been fantasizing about it I feel like it's going to be a whole load of fun and you're probably going to experience it with me and his friend was like yeah yeah sounds good and I think honestly the whole time his friend was like this dude's crazy he's not going to do anything right so they're walking around they're pointing at potential victims and as they find one the friend's like okay but like we can stop like fantasizing and role playing now like let's just go get some food and he's like what do you mean you're not down for the kill mm-hmm and so he's like, no. And so he's like, well, then you're not my friend. So I got to kill you. So he kills his friend, Mikhail, in the middle of that park. Don't you think that was his plan all along? I don't know. It's hard to say. I feel like it is. It might be because later on he will say this. The closer the person is to you, the more pleasant it is to kill. Because it's more emotional. Yeah, because think about it like. It's not something you switch your mind on like that. Last how do you No, th- how do you went from this is my friend to someone I'm going to kill now? <laughs> like you you see what I mean? Like Yeah. You're my fiance and yeah. next second you're someone I'm killing. Like that doesn't add up. I mean know? it does in this relationship. <laughs> <laughs> but I also was thinking yeah. that also shows that let's say that dude he ha- he is planning on killing him, right? Mm-hmm. I've never seen someone what invite the victim over and then ask the victim hey why don't we go kill someone together and then <laughs> switch on them in the middle it's almost like a chess move uh, i don't like that i don't like that i don't like that you know what i mean because they yeah. are so kind of least expected that you're gonna kill them because they thought they're on your team and, and you, you just switch on them. them yes and you just switch on them i don't like this i don't like this at all dude <sighs> So he kills his friend. Now, this one's not going to be that particularly brutal, brutal because he's, I mean, in the beginning, he's really just trying to find out his style. Later on, you're going to die with his MO and how he likes to kill people, right? Mm-hmm. And after this, I mean, he's quoted to say some of the craziest serial killer quotes. Like, if you think about the scariest thing a serial killer can say to you, this is one of them. He said, for me, life without killing is life without food. <laughs> yeah wow. so after this he takes a nine-year hiatus and listen listen wait after this one yeah the first killing uh-huh he takes a nine-year hiatus <laughs> now let me tell you something sometimes i take a hiatus sometimes i'm like whoa 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 pump the brakes pump the brakes i need to talk to a counselor and that's why i love better help i've been talking about them for a really long time and i'm pretty open about my mental health um i tend to be pretty anxious as a person i think i'm just wired that way and i feel like it was something that was just interfering with my happiness like i was always so anxious that i couldn't really enjoy myself and it prevented me from honestly achieving a lot of my goals and it still kind of does and that's why i use better help so what they do is they assess your needs and they match you with your own licensed professional therapist and the best part is you can start communicating in under 48 hours i remember when i went to a traditional therapist in office i it would take me weeks to get an appointment it would take like they wouldn't even pick up their phone call and it's like listen i kind of like want to talk to someone right now but like fine i'll just like wait 
five weeks when maybe my problems will be a completely different set of problems. That's fine. Um, should I take notes and bring them? <laughs> and so that's why I love BetterHelp. Like 48 hours, you just start talking and they have a broad range of expertise available, which might not be locally available in a lot of areas. And it's it's not a crisis line. It's not a self-help line. It's professional counseling done securely online and it's available worldwide. So you just log into your account at any time, send a message to your counselor and you'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, plus, if you're interested, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So you never really have to sit in like that uncomfortable waiting room of traditional therapy. And the best part is they're committed to making sure that you get a good match. So they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed because all their counselors are amazing, but every person's different. And it's a lot more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. So BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. You can actually visit their website and read testimonials that are posted daily and join over the 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Right now, for Rotten Mangoers, you guys can actually get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash rotten. That's betterhelp.com slash rotten. He just takes a nine-year hiatus. So a lot of psychologists think that during this time, either he was fighting his urge to not kill, or it could have been because he was briefly considered a suspect for his friend's murder because he was like seen with his friend that day. (laughs) So they like briefly questioned him. So maybe he was so scared for nine years. Mm. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, he never said anything, which is crazy because Sasha is a talkative person. He will tell you his opinions on God, life, art, beauty, and all of that. He even gets married in prison. It's weird. (laughs) And so he takes this nine-year hiatus, and then he starts developing an MO. He just, like, wants to kill people. So he decides, using the information that he gets from Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, that the way to to find someone that he can influence is to find the most vulnerable and lonely people. So he'd go to the park and he would people watch and he would look around and he would point out who looks like they want to talk to someone that's who crazy that that book is such an influence on how he does things by him yeah because yeah. it's a very famous book yeah we have the book i tried reading that book that book is so? i don't okay maybe it's my personality though because you find it helpful um it just sounds too aggressive for me how to win friends and influence people? Yeah. And like oh. I tried to briefly read it. Maybe I should finish it. Maybe then I'll have some friends. But yeah. so far, <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the book, The Art of Power, which, by the way, fun fact, is banned in prisons. Um, what? Yeah. The same dude who wrote The Art of Seduction and stuff, yeah, The 48 yeah, yeah. Laws of war or whatever yeah um yeah the art of power kind of reminds me of that it's just like too too calculated and then i i feel like i don't want to like live life calculated like that so Mm. i don't really like books like that but he got a lot of inspo from that book Uh so he starts just going around trying to find people that look vulnerable and this is what's called the sewer period listen i'm telling you it's crazy this serial killer is known to have two different periods the first one is the sewer period and this lasted from 2001 to 2005 right and this is about 32 different people disappear and get murdered by him during this time so a lot of people start disappearing most of them were either homeless elderly addicts or recently released prisoners so a lot of the times the police did not give a fork Mm. and you're talking about the south side of moscow where it just wasn't like wealthy families everywhere they weren't necessarily professionals right Mm -hmm. and so 
The police just didn't feel inclined to look at them. Mm-hmm. Now, the community itself was getting scared because they're like, I'm talking to also, I think babushka means ajuma. So a lot, I saw a lot of articles referring to a bunch of babushkas who were talking to each other. I feel like it means like ajumas, like, um, you know. Don't quote me on that. And so all of them were like talking to each other like, hey, did you hear about Fred? He went missing. Well, did you hear about him? No, he didn't go get a job in Moscow. He's he's a drunk. Like they were just kind of getting confused because it seems like more and more people were going missing. And it's like, fine, you could say one person just like didn't tell anyone that they were going into the city or like one person moved away without telling anyone. But 32 different people like Mm -hmm. that doesn't make sense. Right. And the way that he would do this is Sasha would wait outside people watch and then he would slowly go up to that person and just start talking to him he would befriend them how to win friends and influence people he would befriend them he would be so nice to them and then he would say hey so i just buried my dog you know my dog just died Mm -hmm. and uh, that's a lie his dog died like nine years ago and i buried the dog deep into the woods and you know i got this bottle of vodka i want to go pour one out for my dog do you want to come with me i'll give you free vodka and so a lot of the times it'd be like hell yeah vodka so the reason that this is kind of important is because the south side of moscow Mm -hmm. was notoriously known for like most men were into vodka like they just drank on a daily basis right Mm -hmm. and so they were like hell yeah vodka and so they'd be walking into the woods and he'd be like oh it's just over there so they just keep walking Mm -hmm. and one of the conversations he remembers which is so sad is that he asked one of his victims Mm -hmm. what's your life wish and Mm -hmm. the victim looked at him and said to stop drinking because he was an addict you know Mm -hmm. and he said i promise you today will be the last day that you drink Oh, my gosh. And he didn't take it as anything. He kind of took it as like an endearing, like, yeah, you're right. Starting tomorrow, I'm going to change my life, right? Uh And so they keep walking into the woods. And there are two wells inside of this park, like these deep 15-foot wells. And all of them lead into the connected city's vast sewer system. This sewer system is massive, right? So you drop something into the well, it's in the fucking sewer system. Like, it's not just like ground or a little bit of water. It's in the sewer system, right? And there's two in the park. Best way to... Yes. Bodies? Yeah. And so wow. he would say, oh, I buried my dog right next to the well so that I would always remember. So they get to the well and they would give a toast to the dead dog and they would take sips of vodka and he'd be like, to my dearest doggo, I miss you, boo boo. Right. Uh-huh. And then sneakily, he would grab a hammer out of his jacket and bonk them on the head. Now, he always made sure that his bonks were a little bit softer. He wanted to whack them, but not hard enough so that they die. He just wanted to whack them a little bit right because he liked the sound of the skull splitting but he wanted he wanted the victim to be aware of what was happening to them that's insane yeah and then he started experimenting so his favorite thing was he liked to jam things into the skull cracks while the person was alive so like let's say your skull is fractured and your skull is um cracked open a little bit but you're still alive right because your heart's still beating you're bleeding you're still alive in that moment unless you're knocked unconscious which most of them according to him were not and he would break the bottle of vodka and start sticking shards of glass into the victim's skull and for some reason when i first read this i kind of pictured a skull without a brain inside like i just pictured like one of those like skull fake skulls right but then imagine like it's it's attached to a face and it's detached to a brain and you've got like shards of glass inside of your brain now the pain i don't know 
right while they're alive and then later on he actually decided to up the ante and his his trademark you know how everybody's got a trademark right his trademark was to stick an entire bottle of vodka in between the skull fracture like he would jam that vodka in that vodka bottle that was his goal so everybody he's later on yeah would have a bottle of vodka inside of their fractured skull and most of them were alive when this was happening. So he basically st- stick a bottle, bottle into your brain. Brain, yeah. And ki- yeah. you're killed by yeah. brain damage. Yeah. And it's probably a very slow, painful bra- de- oh death. I don't know necessarily like how painful that would be. I feel like I feel like it's one of... <laughs> I just don't even want to think about the visual of yeah. that. Yeah. And then when he would get real cute, he'd be like into DIYs and he would go grab some like twigs and leaves and stick them in the skull too, like make a fucking bouquet. Sorry, that was really graphic. But like, yeah, essentially he would go and look for twigs and leaves and stick them in too. He was really into the sound of skull splitting. That's his quote, not mine. So he gets what, satisfaction from it? Yeah, he just thinks it's so fun. Okay, so this is not like another sexual fantasy. Well, that's the weird thing. It is, but not really. Like you have to, you, this is why people think he's such a weird person. He's not your necessarily, like, so Andre, the guy that he was competitive with, the other serial killer in Russia that we've talked about, as he's stabbing his victims, he would ejaculate, mm-hmm. right? And it was because only violence could get him off, just like a lot of serial killers. Mm-hmm. But for him, the act of killing, the act of being so powerful, that you are God and mm. you can decide if someone lives or dies was mm. his favorite feeling in the world. Sometimes he ejaculated from it, but mm. it wasn't the stabbing and the violence. It was just like, I can do whatever I want to you. And his favorite thing is to do something with the skull. Yeah. But he never like raped any of his victims. He never really did anything sexual to them technically. So it seemed like there was no sexual motive in that victim. It was all in the act of killing, but Mm. not even in the violence. It was just the sheer power of I can kill you. That's why it's so intense. That's so weird. That's why he says something like, you know, killing in life, you know, it's like, Without food, you get the quote, right? And so he then would push his victims down the well, which was actually 30 feet. And most of them would still be alive at this point. And when they fall, that's typically when they would die. And they would just be taken into the sewer system. And they believe until this day that there's at least 13 corpses stuck in Moscow's sewage system. So that nobody can be found? Yeah. So, okay. That's what I thought, too. I Googled it. I was like, why can't they just go in there and try to recover the bodies or like the bones? You know, I get it. It's nasty. It's a smelly work. Right. But why not? Um, I looked into it and sewers are really intense. So like it's not exactly what you imagine. It's not even like what you see on TV where like the little villains or like the superheroes are just like walking and it's like, you know, ankle deep in sewage water. And they're like, what's that smell? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. There's actually lots of weird things in sewers. So in China, they found a baby in the sewer system she was flushed i think and then they also one of the farmers in china his cow went missing and he was like where's my freaking cow like my cow's been gone for four days i don't know where my cow is and then all of the locals in that village was like why do i hear mooing from underground and it was just like moo moo and so they're like what do we do what do we do something's mooing and one of them decided to take off the lids of one of like the sewers and -hmm. the cow just like popped its head up And they got the cow out. It took the whole village to take the cow out of the sewer system. They don't know how the cow got in there, but the cow didn't look injured or anything. The cow was just chilling and mooing in the sewer system for four days. 
So that still doesn't answer like. Oh, just wait. And then、uh, in Japan, they found like fifty thousand dollars worth of gold. So like, I don't know about you, but I'm trying to go sewer diving in Japan. And in the UK, they found what they call a fatberg. And now this fatberg was um, it was a like、berg. a so it's like an iceberg, but it, they call、oh. it a fatberg. And it's called a fatberg because it was a massive clump of wet wipes, condoms, cooking oil, fat oils, and like sanitary towels that were thrown into the flushed. Uh-huh. And it collected, and it solidified in the UK sewer system. But guess how big it got? How big? The size of a double-decker bus, like a real bus. Oh, in their sewer system. Yeah, and so they had to get all the sewage workers, and they had to like destroy it. But they kept a big portion of it, and it's at a museum called the Fatberg. <laughs> yeah, and you can go look at the big lump of fat. Yeah, the UK finds a lot of weird stuff in their sewer system. They found half of a car once. They found a live sheep in there. Bah. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, and in the US, we also have some weird stuff in our sewer system. In Texas, they found a six hundred pound alligator just like hanging out in the sewer system. So yeah, the sewer system's massive. So、uh-huh. they weren't gonna go looking for the bodies, especially when they would have been fully decomposed and it would have been a lot of bones. So that's what I'm saying. It's just a massive situation. It's not like a couple of pipes here and there that's underground. It's like a, it's like a whole network. You know, in Las Vegas they live in sewer systems. Sorry, lots of fun facts today. Yeah, in Las Vegas there's tunnels that used to be an old sewer system, and a lot of people live there. Today? Yeah, today there's a whole section of people who live there and find shelter in the tunnels. And it's really sad, yeah. But、huh. I mean, sewer systems are massive. So, anyways, he throws them into the sewer system. Now, most of his victims were mainly men. Now, Andre, the butcher of Rostov, he was a sexually dysfunctional sexual predator. Like he was intense. But for Sasha, he said murder is his first love. He likes an untainted death. He doesn't like a death where there's like torture, where there's like too much、uh, sex. You know, there's rape, there's assault. Like he doesn't really like that. He just likes pure death, like pure killing, and so he starts experimenting. I mean, at one time he tried to shoot someone, but he said that was too quick, and he didn't really experience the euphoria of killing someone. He tried strangling people, but he just didn't like that. He really just liked the sound of the skull cracking. Yes, sometimes he would ejaculate while he was killing, and it just—he said that life for him, because he was a serial killer, was a perpetual orgasm. Just knowing that he could kill people gave him a perpetual orgasm. Yeah. But it seems like he did have some moral conflictions. So early two thousand and two, Sasha actually decided to turn himself in. So he walks into a police station in Moscow, and he it was near the park, and he says, "Listen, guys,、uh, hello, police officers. So I've been killing people on the regular, on the regs. Yeah, yeah, lots of people. I kill them, and it's getting really bad. I don't know. Like, do you think I should go to like rehab? Like, what do you think? You know, what's the consensus?" And they asked him, "Oh, so why are you killing these people, right?" And he said, "Well, because、uh-huh. that's what I do." He、uh-huh. said, "That's what I do. I kill people." And they laughed in his face, and they told him to stop drinking and go home. And so he went home. I mean, shit. 
That's crazy. Yeah. And then and then there was a woman by the name of Maria Viracheva. Now, this was February of 2002, right? She's heavily pregnant. So mm-hmm. she's walking through the woods with Sasha. And all of a sudden, he just knocks her down the well. Heavily pregnant. 30 feet down the well. And this is why you don't fuck with pregnant people. She survived. And she climbed out of that well 30 feet. She said, not today, my baby living. And she immediately went to the police station. And she said, listen, um, I'm a heavily pregnant pregnant woman and this dude that i met in the park we walked to the well and he threw me down the well like look at all my i mean she was injured look at all my injuries he threw me down the well here is all the evidence that you need let's go find the dude uh-huh. and they said give me your papers so apparently in russia you can't live in moscow unless you have the papers to live in moscow but a lot of people illegally live near moscow because jobs were really hard to find outside of the city Mm -hmm. i don't know if it's still like this but during the ussr times it was right Mm -hmm. and so she didn't have those papers so she's like fuck what do i do and the police give her a deal they said hey you go home you never come back. You never tell me about no dude dumping you in a well. Stop complaining. Don't go tell your friends that some dude, you know, dropped you in a well. And we'll ignore the fact that you're undocumented and that you're living here. And we'll let you continue to live here because don't make our job hard. Like, we got to go do a whole search then, you know. We got to go <laughs> put out some posters. We got to go talk to some people, see if there's some witnesses. We got to go gather evidence at the well. And, you know, the well's smelly because it's, like, connected to the sewer system. So... You go home and we won't kick you out of Moscow. So obviously being heavily pregnant, she's like, I need to feed for my baby. You know, I'm alive. Thank God. But I need to feed my child. And this is the only place that I can work. So she went home and we're going to get like a bunch of a dozen other people who die after this. Because the police wow. were like, go home. And then a couple weeks later, there was a little boy by the name of Mikhail. And he was 13 years old. Now, he is not he's not exactly what you picture to be a little boy. Because at 13, he was constantly hanging out the metro. And he was known as one of those metro boys. Now, in Russia, what that meant is that he would wear a leather jacket. He had piercings everywhere. And he would drink vodka out of a paper cup with all of his metro friends. I feel like the Korean equivalent would be like kimchi squatting and smoking cigarettes outside of 7-Eleven, mm. right? Got it. So he was the Moscow version of that. And they called him um, translated into a punk. That's what the police called him. Just a punk. Right. And so he gets approached by Sasha and he's like, why don't we go out into the woods and drink some vodka? So he's like, that sounds so good. So they go to the well and Sasha's like, yeah, my dead dog's here. You know, like, let's give a toast to my dead dog, like constantly using his dog as a scapegoat. And so they get a little sip of vodka and then he just like knocks his knocks him unconscious. But Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, and he did not want to stick like stuff into his skull. So he just mm-hmm. like pushed him down. And I'll get into why I think he did this to this one, right? Mm-hmm. So he pushes him down the well and his leather jacket, the one that everyone says, hey, stop wearing because you look like a punk, got caught on one of like the little like nails in the well. So mm-hmm. he didn't fall to his death. He was just like suspended <sighs> in the middle of the well and he was able to get to the ladder and climb out of the well. And he immediately goes to the police and they said, yeah, go home, you fucking punk. What's up with the police? They yeah. just pretty lazy. So the is? USSR is known for having really corrupt police that they just didn't care, uh. especially when you were dealing with um, precincts where there just wasn't a lot of wealthy people. They really didn't give a fork. They just wanted uh. easy jobs. They just want to sit in the police station and be like, OK, I got paid today. 
Yeah. <laughs> and so a week later, they actually meet again at the Metro. So Mikhail is there and Alex is there. And so Mikhail starts screaming. And I can't even imagine the trauma in this little boy. He starts pulling out his own hair and just going frantic. There was a police officer who was at the Metro. And he says, that's the guy. That's the guy that pushed me down the well and tried to kill me. That's the guy that tried to kill me. And the officer said, yeah, go home, punk. And they did nothing. They didn't even question him. Nothing. Now, you're probably wondering, well, why, why Mikhail? Why didn't he get bonked on the head with a hammer? Why didn't he get vodka shards shoved into his skull, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's because Sasha was known to be really normal. So he would do things like he said sometimes during his kills, he would try to speed up the process so he could get the thrill of the kill. But he really needed to go home because he loved watching TV. And his favorite shows would be on at that time and he didn't want to miss it. So he have to hurry home so that he could watch tv with his mom huh so a lot of the times you know when there's a rushed killing like this one where he didn't you know successfully kill mikhail thank god um it seems like it has to do with like his home life so it seems like the reason that he's not caught so early on is because the police didn't give a shit yeah and most of the bodies weren't even turning up like it's one thing if all the bodies are just laying in the woods lined up and it's obvious murder then the community is obviously going to throw a fit until the police do something Mm. but the police can easily be like no your husband just ran away because you're annoying Mm. you know so it's kind of like that now Sasha in his normal life he was known to be yeah violent hostile and aggressive but during his killings he actually toned it down because he was you know letting out that anger during his murders and so he was known to be just a bland dude at this point like he had no strong opinions or preferences like about anything he wasn't like um at the time he didn't really have a strong opinion on like religion or politics or beauty or art or anything that would evoke a strong opinion by a lot of people like he just was a bland ass dude and so that was his first period called the sewer period Yeah, the dude's got two eras. And then there's what's called the open period where he started leaving humans out in the open, his dead bodies in the open because he wanted more emotion. That was his quote. He he needed more emotions, like more people to find out and have emotion. And so when people find out, they get emotions. He gets emotions. He wants people to know that there's a serial killer because, I mean, he's killed, what, 30-something people? And nobody's talking about a serial killer in Moscow right now? Like, are you fucking kidding me? I've been doing so much work, dude. Like, he wants recognition. He wants people to be scared. He wants to see the fear in people's eyes. Like, what's going on? Uh And so this is when his trademark gets really intense. Like, I honestly think that maybe it was more for the recognition that he shoved vodka bottles into the gaping wounds of skulls. That's a weird way to say it. But this is like when that trademark really solidifies. Because every victim out there pretty much just had a vodka bottle shoved into their brain. Yeah. So let's talk about November 2005. There was a guy by the name of Nikolai... Ah, shit. Zakarchenko. Okay, so Nikolai, and he was a 63 year old ex cop and he turned up dead in the woods with a vodka bottle shoved into his brain. So he was obviously murdered. Like there's no way that the police can like spit it to the press and be like, maybe it was suicide. We don't know. (laughs) You know, it was obvious that it was murder. And this was his 41st victim. And this is the moment that everyone started freaking out. This is when this is when the police said, wait, do you think this has anything to do with all those missing persons reports we've been getting? for the past like decade mm-hmm. and they're like wow should we tell the community to be a little bit nervous because i think there might be a serial killer on the loose yeah 
Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you got a lot of serial killers where they kill two people and everyone's like, oh, there's a serial killer on the loose, right? Yeah. But um, 41st victim. 41st and now he was getting ballsy and the police knew it so they actually brought in some of like the better police of the ussr not just like this local police precinct mm-hmm. because they were just leaving the bodies in the forest like they were just being found by regular people mm-hmm. now sasha really was excited about this because he wanted that recognition and his respect and he said one of the hardest things that he's ever done in life in life think about it he's killed people mm-hmm his sister is sitting there watching the news with him mm-hmm. and it's all about the serial killer and she says God, what a madman. Who is this person? And he said the hardest thing was that he was bursting to tell her that it was him, that she was sitting next to him, but he couldn't. That was the hardest thing he's ever done. Not not deal with the guilt and the remorse, but the fact that he couldn't tell his sister that he was the serial killer. That's crazy. He just want to share the joy. Share the joy. Oh, God. Uh, Yeah. And so the bodies were just being left just out in the open, in the woods, in the snow, in the mud, everywhere. There was one doctor who was walking his dog and he saw a wild dog with a bone in its mouth. And that doctor was like, um, I'm a doctor and that's definitely a human bone. So his, <laughs> him and his dog start searching around and they just see a pack of wild dogs like ripping a victim apart. Oh, they call man. the police, the police get there. And by this point, I mean, the police were just everywhere. There was uniformed police brought in from all parts of Moscow they had plain clothes undercover police officers the park was like a dead zone nobody went nobody played chess there anymore it just was like you just don't go there right uh-huh. and he was dubbed in the press as the maniac and a maniac is someone who's insane right and uh what's the definition of insane this is like such a tumblr quote isn't it like doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results well like i know one part of your life that you might be doing that and we for some reason are in complete denial like you know those sheets that you sleep on and you're like well it's not the best sheets ever but then you like wash them and you take them off your bed and then you spend like 20 minutes trying to put the sheet back onto your bed because you're like why doesn't it fit all the time and then you like get back on and it's not like this amazing enjoyable experience because you're like these sheets or whatever and then you like mentally take note of that but then again next week you'll just rewash them and then redo the same thing again right let me tell you about brooklinen because i have been sleeping well in these sheets holy cow You've heard me talk about them before. I love their sheets. That was like the first thing I've tried from them. Oh, love them. But did you know from your bed to your bathroom, they've got you comfort covered. Like they've got everything. And this holiday is no exception. So they've got so many options, especially for gifting. There's always those people on your list that you're like, I don't know what to get them. And comfort is not one size fits all type of thing. So their selection really takes into account different needs and preferences. So when it comes to bedding, towels, you name it, they have something everyone will love. You got that one aunt that is like never happy with your gift well they've got candles they've got silk eye masks scrunchies and robes to give her like a full spa treatment at home like she's gonna freaking love you there's gift card options so your loved ones can pick out exactly what they want and they all come with a 365 day warranty i mean i'm just telling you comfort is everything these days get huge savings and free shipping during brick linen's biggest sale of the year and it's only at bricklinen.com that's b-r-o-o-k-l-i N-E-N.com and use promo code rotten to let them know that we sent you that's brooklinen.com promo code rotten also if you can't wait for the sale or if you're just hearing about this and it's post black friday or cyber monday you can still use the promo code rotten at brooklinen.com for 10 percent off and free shipping in the u.s anytime 
This will be his 62nd victim, allegedly, okay? Will be Marina Moscalavia. Now, so during all of this time, he actually had a job and nothing really important happened at his job. Like he was working at like a local supermarket and it seemed mm-hmm. like everyone at his job didn't really mind him. He was nice. Nobody thought he was that hostile or that aggressive. He actually was pretty easy to get along with. Like he was kind of liked. So one of his co-workers, Marina, at the supermarket, she decided to go on a walk into the park with Sasha. Now, during this time, no woman like would just take up a random person to go a walk with when there's a serial killer on the news. Mm-hmm. But th- this is his, her co-worker. She sees him every day. Yeah. And so she goes home. She had this arranged date to go through the, you know, the woods with him. Mm -hmm. And I think it was, again, to say goodbye to his dead dog, which he was, like, so sad about. And so, of course, being the amazing coworker, she was like, yes, I'll, like, go and, like, we'll pour out one for your dog. And so she leaves a note for her son. And she says in that note, I'm going to go meet Sasha Pichluskin at the park. So she leaves that note at home and she starts walking to the park with him. Now they get to the train station. They get off at the little train stop. That's the park. And they get out and they start walking through the park. Now, at this point, I mean, he knew that she left a note. I think she had like mentioned that she tried to call her son, but he wasn't picking up her phone, his phone. So she got a little bit nervous, but she like left him a note. So she's got to be home soon to make sure that he's okay, right? Mm -hmm. Especially with like a serial killer on the loose, you know, she's got to make sure her son's okay. And so he knew for a fact that she left a note and everyone knew that they were going to be together that day. But for some reason, he tells us that he really needed to kill. Like during that entire walk, he was like, do I just get caught just so I can do this one last time or what? Because I really need to kill. I really need to kill someone and because that urge came she had to die Hmm. so he murdered her now after this the son gets home and he immediately calls Sasha and he's like hey uh, I got a note that she was gonna be with you today like walking through the woods she still hasn't come home like are you still with her and Sasha says what I haven't seen her in two months. Now, her son immediately thought that was weird because he knew that Sasha was her coworker and they see each other practically every day because they work together. What do you yeah. mean you haven't seen her in two months? That doesn't make any sense. Why would my mom leave this note saying that she's going to go meet you, but you haven't seen her in two months and I know you're her co- Like, he was <laughs> yeah. just confused, right? And so he sends that to his dad, who is, you know, Marina's husband. Yeah. And he's like, well, I'm sure she'll turn up. Like, it's going to be okay. I mean, obviously, they were a little bit panicked because there's a serial killer on the loose. And then they... They sit down, they turn on the TV together and they see on the news that a local woman has been found dead in the park. And they're like, what the fork's happening? So they start freaking out. They go to the police department and they were able to identify that it was Marina. Now, at this point, the family brought in that note to the police and said, I don't know who this Sasha dude is, but they work together. You need to go talk to him. Right. Uh And the police start tracing her, you know, whereabouts. So she had a train ticket, a metro ticket to this stop at the park. So they go through the metro CCTV and they see her getting off the train stop with Sasha. So he's like, "Okay, well, this is enough evidence. Right. So they start accumulating a little bit more evidence. And then finally, in July 16th, 2006, which by By the way, like, does this not sound crazy that it was like this recent? Yeah, it's so crazy. Yeah, I feel like we always think that the serial killers are just like in the 70s when people were hitchhiking. And then I'm like, yeah, anyways, in 2006, I mean, it's just the weirdest. It's nuts that. Yeah. Yeah. What? With all the technology of like CCTVs and everything going on, we're just still in this age. I mean, imagine like 10 years from now, how many serial killers we'll be talking about. And we're like, yeah, so they got arrested in 2021. Like, what? I don't. Th- I think it's gonna be really, really difficult. You think so? Yeah, like especially with five G. Mm. 
the 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 way the whole technology and everything is getting connected mm-hmm. like there's no more online offline everything is like instant like there's nowhere to hide anymore i mean right don't you feel that way yeah I don't but know. don't you think people will get smarter i really hope not but i was just on this uh wikipedia rabbit hole of active serial killers in the u.s there's a there's quite a bit quite a bit yeah that are hmm. active right now yeah actively killing right now too and a lot of them focus on highways. They'll travel down major highways and kill down the highway. Wait, what? How does that work? So, I mean, typically it's sex workers. So oh. they'll be driving down major highways, find a rest stop with sex workers, kill them, then keep driving. So you don't actually know where they reside. You know, who's to say? Because they're crossing state lines all the oh time. How do you even say that these are connected crimes? Right. So it seems like a lot of them are centered around highways right now. So like me in 10 years, the highway killer. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. So July 16th of 2006, that's when they decide, listen, we're going to go arrest him, okay? So around midnight, they decide to knock on that little door where their entire family is sleeping in this little one-bedroom apartment. And Natasha, the mom, she thinks it's strange because they're not expecting anyone at midnight. And also, like, this is weird, right? So she opens the door and immediately a swarm of police walk in just with, like, assault rifles, with just guns, guns ablazing, ready to go. Like, they just got swatted and Sasha at the time he was only 32 years old now Natasha will go on to do interviews and she said that the police were really kind to her they also said that they just wanted to talk to her son because there was a string of burglaries burglaries that was happening around and maybe he had something to do with it and Uh so she asked him she said Sasha did you rob someone Uh and he said no mom and they take him away and all of the police you know like half of them went to the police station with sasha and half of them stayed with natasha and they gave her the paper finally because i think the reason that they said that is they didn't want sasha to fight and do something crazy Uh, you know what paper the paper with like the arrest warrant Uh. and it listed what he was being accused of which was being the maniac Uh, And she, they said that it was heartbreaking. Like she was shook. Like she was quiet. She was, she didn't have a reaction. She was just sobbing the whole time and they had to do what they had to do. So as she's sitting there sobbing, they had to search the house, Mm. you know? So they're turning upside down the house and that's when they found very important things. The chessboard. So they found the chessboard. And it was just a regular chessboard. Uh And on top of 62 of the 64 squares, it was filled with dates and names. Oh, my God. And there was two empty spots. So they brought that into evidence. And there was also newspaper clippings of the butcher of Rostov, of Russia, of Andre. Wait, so he killed 62 people? Yes. That's what he claims, but he will only be proven to have killed 49. That's insane. I know, but um, the butcher of Russia, he was convicted of 53. And he was competitive. I'm not trying to be like, well, look, you know, it was because he wanted to outkill the butcher of Russia. Right. Right. So he gets brought into the police station. And this is where it gets wacko. This is when you, you know, like when you look at your own country's justice system and you're like, this is wacko. Right. And then sometimes you look at other ones and you're like, huh, that's weird. <laughs> right. This is one of those situations where it's going to be weird because in Russia during the USSR times, I don't know if it's still like this. They have a common technique where they will actually have the killer go and recreate the crimes. So they were literally videotaping him walking through the woods. And then he, there's like a dummy on the ground. Wait, like a man. Just like, oh, Korea. 
Korea, they yeah, they make you like, they cover your face or something. Is that what you're talking about? They, you say they make you re. Yeah, they reenact it. it too. This one too. He reenacted, but they use dummies. Aww. So there's like a little mannequin laying there, and he's like, so then I went over in there and just chop, bop. And it's just the weirdest thing. And they played it on national television. And the whole thing was aired. His entire confession was aired on national TV in Russia, which makes this case even just crazier. Uh-huh. And the police at one point, they would even ask him something like, why the woods? You know, do you have uh-huh. something for the woods? Like, do you get off on the woods? Like, does the crunching of the leaves just like make you jerk off? Like, what's your deal, dude? Like, are you like the butcher of Russia where you just like fucking love jerking off? Like, what's the deal? Right. Uh-huh. And he just straight up looks at the interrogator like he's a dumbass, And he goes why the woods have you tried killing someone in the middle of the street in broad daylight that's why i killed in the woods what do you mean that's that's a dumb question because i think they were trying to look for like he chose to kill in the woods because the monster was born and raised in the woods and the woods provided him the secrecy and then then he would use the twigs and then the crunching of the leaves you know and the, the smell of the dewy fresh laundered air like i think they were expecting something like that but he was just like because it's woods uh-huh. <laughs> and so it was just like what so the police at this point they had 13 physical bodies that they had recovered from him so they knew that he was guilty of at least 13 different murders but that's when he starts confessing to 60 different murders now i don't know if he knew that the police didn't have him accountable for like 49 murders or 60 murders but he just started confessing and he was able to give pretty good detail on all of them like it wasn't like oh and then more here oh and then i threw like 20 more down the sewer like it was pretty detailed every single one it seemed like he had ingrained into his memory it seemed difficult for him to make up with it and a lot of them matched up with those ignored missing persons reports so it wasn't like he was like and then i got three bitches i forget their names you know and then i threw them in the sewer it was like real people that they could match it up with Uh uh-huh Now, the police, during the couple of months that they're interrogating him, getting the full statements, I mean, they did everything. They worked him psychologically. They they said that they always looked him in the eyes, you know, because he really liked that. He really liked the respect. You know, they would even see things like, you know, if you weren't a killer, I would really admire you. Your your work ethic's good. And he just started opening up like he it, his profile, the police realized is that it's very important for him to feel like the main character, the protagonist, the hero of the story. But maybe he also want to claim these names just for his own record. Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's not that difficult for these cops to get these yeah. names out of him. Also, he actually gets really mad because in the press, um, you are talking about the USSR, right? So you are talking about um, state-run media, you know? Mm. And the state-run media was like, oh my God, look at these handsome officers who were able to catch the notorious serial killer. Mm. And he would go on to do interviews with journalists and said, hey, also the police didn't catch me. I pretty much wanted to be caught, so don't let those idiots think that. <laughs> like, he was really cocky. He was like, I knew I was going to get caught after I killed Marina, but I wanted to kill her, so I killed her. So I turned myself in. Don't get it twisted. But the police really wanted to take credit. They were like, so then we buttered him up. (laughs) Yeah. uh Uh-huh. 
So anyways, they start uh, filming the bizarre scene of the crime situations with these dummies in the woods and the police were there and he's just like, and then I bonked, right? Uh-huh. And he would just, he would even talk about how sometimes he would try to like experiment, but he didn't really like strangling. He didn't really like shooting. He just really liked bonking. That was his favorite thing, specifically with a hammer. His hammer was his favorite murder weapon. And when he was asked why he did it, he would tell people, I mean, all of Russia pretty much, that he felt like God to decide if someone lives or dies. And in some situations, you know, he has a really strong connection with his, his victims. You know, most of the time he wouldn't even call him his murder victims. Mm-hmm. He would call them his clients as if he's like this attorney. And he would say, you know, his clients, he felt like a father to them because he opened the door to another world for them. Wow, mm-hmm. Zaddy, keep it in your pants, dude. Yeah. And what's really sad is I feel like a lot of situations we talk about serial killers and I shit on the moms. I shit on the parents because either A, they're abusive or B, their kid gets caught for being a serial killer and they're like, well, it's not my fault that I beat him up every day and let him get abused, you know, or they'll be like, no, my son would never. He's just a little mommy's boy angel. I love him to death. But Natasha was so sad because she was interviewed and she said, I now know that I really raised my son poorly and I don't even know what I can say I did wrong. I just try to raise him like a normal mom would. And I think I didn't really know my son very well. So it's like a normal mom. Yeah, reaction, like yeah. not like a serial killer. Like, oh, God, does it run in the family? Like the apple doesn't fall from the tree vibe. Like she just was so heartbroken. She yeah. actually later had to cut off all communications with him, even though he would send letters, because I think she just couldn't couldn't mentally absorb that. Like she just had to act like she didn't have a son. So he's still trying to reach out. Yeah. Saying I mean, what? Just like what's popping, mama. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Yeah. And so there was a bunch of psychiatrists who wanted to just study this dude because none of it made sense. You know what happened? It seems like his mom and his half sister are normal. There's no history of abuse. There's no killing of animals. There's no torturing of animals. Like, what's the deal, dude? You know? Yeah. Like when you talk about Andre, the butcher of Russia, which we had like just I mean, everyone's just comparing the shit out of them in Russia at that time. They study him. They find out that he is sane, like he's not insane. And he has antisocial personality disorder and narcissistic personality disorder. And they don't know if it came from that bunk, but they just said that he has this insane need to be admired, to be recognized, to be respected, to be feared. To the point where he just doesn't care about anyone. He can. He just wants to kill people to be respected. And to him, that was the easiest way to do it. What they were saying is that maybe if he was smarter or maybe he worked harder, mm-hmm. he could have been trying to focus that energy into chess or something to be like revered and, you know, respected in that community. But for him, there was just something about the butcher of Russia just really motivated him. And he felt like, no, this is this is the arena that I want to play. He's willing to die for it, too, at the end. And then it seemed like he just maybe liked the kill afterwards. The question was, what happens after the 64 pieces have names? Yes. And the answer that anybody who talked to him, anybody who interviewed, interrogated, or dealt with Sasha, they said he would buy many more chessboards because he wasn't going to stop at 64. Wait, wait, that's what he said? That's what he said. That's what everyone around him said. He would kill indefinitely. It was not, let me do 64 and retire. It was he at this point 
loved the kill to the point where he's sitting in prison right now and he says if you let me out i'm gonna kill a couple people to let off some steam first wait so what happened to his sentence okay yeah yeah so um that was like the psychological aspect right and here's some things that he would say as he's being interviewed or during trial he said that humans are cheaper than sausage and his attorney who is defending him right now he would like to cut him up like fish kill him like a little insect and he would get so much pleasure from that (laughs) he's looking at his attorney yeah that's defending him (laughs) and then the attorney is like judge i object <laughs> judge judge i quit, <laughs> judge, I quit. <laughs> mommy pick me up i'm scared yeah. and during his trial so you know how the butcher he was put into a cage he was also put into a cage so he was in this glass cage the entire trial wait why did they do that again because they didn't want him to hurt any spectators and they didn't want the families of the victims trying to attack him so they put him into a cage which honestly i feel like the u.s should do that sometimes put people in a cage yeah why does shit shit go down at court i mean okay i think they should put like serial killers like this in a cage because i think it's kind of comical to look at the pictures because they are like this monster and they i feel like they don't deserve to be treated like humans and when they're sitting there with their little suits on i'm like fuck you right um but sometimes i don't because i I do find like these serial killer cases like the you know it's traumatizing for the um what is it the families yeah the families or or even the victim to come to go up there i find it very very traumatizing for them yeah i also heard that um well this is commonly well known and it's all over reddit too you know how there's the police officers like the bailiffs in the court system Mm -hmm. i heard that a lot of the times when they're dealing with a really bad criminal Mm -hmm. and a family member jumps and tries to attack that criminal there's like there's like a moment of freeze where they're like fuck like do we just let him swing once or like what do we do because like it's our job not to let that happen but like fuck this dude's evil you know like i want to give a swing right so i heard that there's always like this moment of pause between them where like what do i do but they have to stop them and a lot Mm -hmm. of the times like the bailiffs you know you can hear them in a lot of the courts like the famous ones where the victims families will try to attack the criminal Mm -hmm. and a lot of them are just like apologizing to the family member Mm -hmm. as they're pulling them off because you know yeah you get it yeah yeah now the only nightmare he said that he would ever have in prison or anywhere else is that he really could have treated his dog better but he says that he does have these amazing dreams though where he will meet his victims again and he will kill them all over again in the same way that he did in real life and those he really likes and his killing he's just anyone Anybody. anyone that's the crazy thing he <laughs> did not have a type at all he had no preference It's crazy. Now, let me tell you about a preference of mine that I have, right? And I've talked about this before on my YouTube channels. I am not ready to be a mom. So this is what's crazy. I know that I'm getting older. I'm 25, right? And I always had this weird, crazy, just I don't even know how to understand fertility. Like, how does it work? You know, everyone keeps telling me, Stephanie, you need to have kids. My mom, trust me, she tells me every day. You need to have a kid. Your time is clocking away. It's ticking. Time is ticking. You're going to be you're going to be done. So you can't have a kid later. And I'm like, what does that mean what's the clock 
where is the timer? I mean, there's so much about fertility that's a complete mystery. And that's where modern fertility hormone test comes in. Think of your fertility hormones as tiny little detectives. Ooh, this is like true crime, like detectives, okay? And they can bring you tons of insight onto like your things like egg count, reproductive timeline, and even possible outcomes for egg freezing and IVF. You know, everything you kind of want to know about getting proactive about your fertility is going to be on this test. That's kind of why this company was created. It's the easy, affordable way to get your fertility hormones tested at home with a simple finger prick. I am so scared of needles, but this was so easy to do. You just prick your finger. That's it. Mail in the results with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing at your doctor's office can cost well over $1,000, but modern fertility only costs $159 to get the same exact information. Also, if you guys have HS or FSA, you can actually use those dollars on modern fertility. If you're confused about your results, you can talk one-on-one with a fertility nurse to review your results and your options for next steps. Maybe you want kids today. Maybe you want them in the future. Maybe it's a long distant thought. You still need this information to make the decision that's best for you. So right now, Modern Fertility is offering you guys $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com rotten. That means your test will cost $139 instead of hundreds or thousands of dollars it could cost at a traditional doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com rotten. And out of, um, just out of curiosity, Curiosity. A lot of interviewers, journalists asked him, you know, what would you what do you think your life would have been if you didn't kill people? Like, where would you want to live? You would still stay in Moscow? Like, let's say you never got caught. Like, what would you want to do with your life? And he said, I would like to live in Mexico, which like Russia is really far from Mexico, like the other side of the world. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said, why Mexico? That's very random. Right. And he mm-hmm. said, well, it's warm and there's lots of forests there. And the interviewer said, well, there's actually no forest in Mexico. Which I feel like he's wrong because I feel like I've seen some forests, right? Sasha goes, do you mean to tell me they don't have jungles? Because they do have forest. And you know Freddy Krueger, the killer in the movies? Well, he said Elm Street exists in every city. Now, Freddy Krueger killed people on Elm Street, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh huh. And he said Elm Street exists in every city. So he'd like to go to Mexico to go kill people in their forest. Yeah, thank God, Mexico, that he's in prison. (laughs) (laughs) Why Mexico, though? Because it's warm and they've got forest. Oh, just because it's warm. Yeah, just warm. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Which is going to be the exact opposite of where he goes because he goes to a prison called the Polar Owl. We'll get into it. So October 24th of 2007, he ends up confessing to 60 murders plus three surviving victims. But he actually was only convicted of 49 murders and three survivors, right? Because that was the only enough evidence to tie him to. And he was really upset with this. First of all, he wanted a jury trial. He wanted a trial that lasted forever. He wanted witnesses called to the stand he wanted to testify he wanted a you know a clan of jurors sitting there staring him in the eye where he could just harass them and look creepy right mm-hmm but he didn't get that. And so he was really mad at that. But more importantly, he was really mad at the fact that they said he only killed 49 people when he killed 62 people. Why is that? 
He was just so mad because Wait, why, this would make him the second most prolific killer. Wait. Oh, because they could only find evidence to 49, like conclusive oh. evidence. Okay. So they didn't want to give him the rest. And I also think that the police didn't want to give him the satisfaction. Mm. So I think, you know, they were like, I mean, technically he probably did kill those people, but we're not going to give him that because that's what he wanted in life. Like that's all <laughs> he wanted. That yeah. was his biggest happiness. And so he was sentenced to life in prison because Russia did not have the death penalty at this time. Actually, Actually, it was a huge debate in Russia. They were like, should we bring it back just for him? Just like a one time thing where we're just like, hey, we're doing it again, you know, back at it again with that death penalty. Yeah. Um, but they didn't. Yeah. What? So they sentenced him to life in prison and the first 15 years would be in solitary confinement at a place called the Polar Owl. Now, I mean, it's speculated that he's going to spend the most, I mean, the rest of his life in the Polar Owl, but the Polar Owl is one of the top five most intense prisons in Russia. Now, I don't want to get political, but when I say intense prisons in Russia, I mean, I feel like they're probably more intense than the ones in the U.S. No offense, right? Um, you're talking <laughs> craziness. I actually saw a documentary called like the harshest prisons it was on netflix something prisons right and i was watching it and i was like this is fucking nuts and it was in russia <laughs> so uh -huh. the way that it works polar owl is that um the so you know how in american prison you've got like that it's kind of a cage feel but not full-heartedly so you've got the bars on one side and then the rest of the are just concrete walls uh -huh. and people are like oh my god the concrete walls drive you crazy but the polar owl in russia it's a cell. It's a cage inside of a cell. So they actually don't want you to even have walls to make it feel somewhat like a home. So you're in a cage and then there's walls outside of the cage. Huh. So mentally, you know, every single day that you're in a cage. And that's all for mental reasons? For mental reasons. That's fucking crazy. They don't want you to have a regular ceiling. They want you to have a cage. They don't want you to see the walls. Because, I mean, technically, if you, you know, close your eyes really hard and you don't look at that little one bars on one side of the wall, uh -huh. maybe you could make it a home. But they're like, we don't want that. We want you to feel like you're a caged beast. What? And then a after each cage, there's like three other sets of bars from the main hallway it's solitary confinement one person per cage and then outside of the doors it has a picture of the prisoner and their name and all of the most horrendous things that they've done so that the guards when they see it they feel no sympathy there is nothing there there is no love there is no hey like you seem like a cool person like you're smart you can manipulate me into liking you like what's poppin it's there to remind the guards these are fucking killers and what's even crazier is they only get like 90 minutes a day to go outside of their cage. Wow. Oh, well, by the way, it's kind of important to note that this cage, you're not allowed to lay on your bed from 10 from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. So you can only sit on the floor or they have a concrete stool that is attached to the floor and you can only sit on that. But you also don't get like a TV. You also don't get things to do. So you're just sitting there in your Wait, cage. What? They can't lay on the bed? They don't want you to relax. So you're just sitting on cold concrete all day. The, but you have who, nothing to who do. Who stops them from laying on There's them. a CCTV in every single um, room. Oh my and God. if they see you go even sit on your bed, they'll bring in guards. And I'm sure some crazy shit happens to you when they bring in the guards. So you can only sit on bed or on the stool? 
on the stool or the ground yeah on the ground and then 10 p.m comes around it's nighttime but the lights stay on you are not allowed to put your hands under the blanket and they monitor you and if you do i'm sure you get beat the fuck up (laughs) because it's rush. yeah you're not allowed to put your hands under the blanket you're also not allowed to cover your head with the blanket so you have to just lay there with your eyes closed with these blaring lights on yeah and fall asleep and just try to fall asleep yeah, uh-huh. Damn. It's kind of crazy, right? And then it gets even crazier. So you actually get transported from your cell to another cell, but it's just like it, the top has maybe like some airflow. So you get a little bit of fresh air. Wait, that's the 90 minutes, you think? Yeah, and you're by yourself again. Okay. So it's still solitary. And when they take you to that, mm-hmm. it it requires three guards. You're blindfolded. You're handcuffed. They've got a guard dog. And they make you... You know how you do the drunk elephant thingy where yeah. you look at the floor and they turn you? They do that. And uh-huh. then they walk you through so you can't memorize the layout of the prison. Every because day. when you're standing upright, you can kind of be like, I took a right turn. I took a left turn. But they kind of like spin you around and you're facing the ground. So you're at a 90 degree bowing level. Mm. so you have no idea where the fuck in the prison you're located where the little outside space is you don't know anything they really don't want the prison break huh no because all of the people that are in these crazy prisons such as the polar owl they're all in there for life so they think that they have nothing to lose by doing some crazy stuff and the way that the russians kind of state these people they said that they're killers pedophiles and man eaters so i'm thinking cannibals I see. Yeah, it's really intense. So he was sent to the polar owl and he keeps telling the court his only appeal is to add 11 more people to his list. And when he was asked by these journalists, like, why is this so important to you? Like, do you really care that much about notoriety? Like, do you really care about being the most prolific serial killer in Russia? Like, that's your main thing. That's your only thing. And he just states, I thought it would not be fair for them to forget about the other 11 people. They're just forgotten. (laughs) yeah now what's crazy is that you're like wow thank god he's locked up let's forget about him right Mm -hmm. right well um did you know that while he was in solitary confinement that at least 80 different women wrote to him seeking romantic relationships and one of them was the siberian woman by the name of natalia now natalia had won his heart and he proposed after like a year or two of them you know discussing over letters they never met each other in person because only his family member only his mom is allowed to visit like twice a year so that's what's keeping him saying in the freaking prison but not anymore and so he proposed she accepted it uh-huh. she even got his face and a chessboard tattooed onto herself i know that's so disrespectful it's like one thing to get a serial killer's face tattooed on your well i think that's disrespectful and really tasteless and tacky but it's another thing to get the chessboard the thing that he's like oh so proud of God. tattooed on your body Ah, she's still around yeah and by this point the authorities banned their communication because they were just like this is getting too steamy getting too much like this is too strong of emotions we don't want him like they don't want their prisoners to have these strong emotions because then it motivates them to do some crazy shit Mm. so they're like no you guys can't talk anymore so they barred them from communicating but natalia was like no i'm still his i'm always his this is a quote of hers i will always belong to sasha i am dead without him 
Yeah. Now you're probably thinking, wow, well, what's so special about Sasha, right? I mean, we just talked about his life and it doesn't sound so special. He sounds like disgusting. We hate him, right? Mm -hmm. But um, Natalia's got some issues too. I mean, I could do a whole deep dive on people who fall in love with criminals, but Natalia would kind of be the poster child for it. She's always loved killers. She, um, her most of her life, her adult life, she has been pen palling serial killers and talking to regular killers. Yeah, which I might add, you know, I got a letter from prison once and it is a very interesting feeling like I can I don't relate. I don't understand the love aspect, but I do understand the temptation to write back and like kind of want to dissect someone's brain for yourself. I understand that aspect, but she liked it in a sexual way. Um, she would talk to a lot of people who's only killed one person before, and she said it just wasn't enough. She liked serial killers because she needed something hotter. That was her words. Hotter. Hotter. Yeah. Hmm. And so she claims that she is devoted to Sasha. Now, Sasha was also asked recently, mm-hmm. you know, what's your life like what would you do if you were out of prison like Mm -hmm. do you regret anything he said he doesn't regret anything but Mm -hmm. he said you know to entertain you for a little bit if you let me out first i'm gonna go kill a couple people just to get rid of some stress right now then since it's been a while i think i'll go rape a woman and then i'll probably drink some vodka and then see how it goes from there This guy is so scary. And they were like, what? And he said, by the way, all of your religions are a lie because evil rules the world. And I am just really realistic. I want to cry. This guy is insane. Can you imagine sitting in the same room as him? I would cry. I would burst into tears. (laughs) He could literally just breathe my way and I would burst into tears. Yeah, he's insane. I don't know. I think it really has to do with the association with chess, too. Mm. It makes him scarier because chess is one of those games. I feel like especially this day and age, most people my age, we don't really play chess like that. Mm -hmm. So for me, even when I, I think that's the appeal with Queen's Gambit, it just is so like strategic you feel like these people know something that you don't know like Mm -hmm. they get this enjoyment from sitting there and like just thinking about how to crush the opponent like i'm scared scared. that's the story of the chessboard killer i know that there was a brief history lesson of chess but i felt like it was pertinent to the story it's that fucking swing you know (laughs) (laughs) that swing stay away from swings seriously don't let your kids around swings you still want to swing no. You don't want to swing I anymore? mean, I think I'm old enough that if I get bonked, I don't think I'll have a personality change. <laughs> you think I'm just going to get bonked with a swing and then suddenly I'm going to be like, today we're talking about Stephanie Sue, serial killer. Well, this clip might haunt me later. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, but um, stay away from swings. That's how we're ending today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed. I know today's was just a lot of fun facts everywhere, but I just felt the need to get all of this information out of my brain and i will see you guys next week bye bye